You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Here's the recording of our live virtual show from June 29th, 2023. It's unedited, and originally it was on video, so if you want to see our faces as we talk, go to our YouTube channel, look up T-O-V exclamation point, or go to our Facebook page, Tove Good Place. In a few places, we reference things we were seeing on screen or in the chat. Enjoy. Here we go, and... Hey, all. It's nice to see everybody. Thank you for coming by. Um, I think maybe we'll rip around the, the four of us first and, uh, and then anybody else who wants to, to, uh, to introduce yourself if you wish. And uh, we'll say who we are and where we are. I'm John Spiros Uh This is what my office looks like all the time at Temple Beth Abraham in Nashua, New Hampshire. <laughs> Rebecca? <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca Rosenthal. I'm the director of Youth and Family at Central Synagogue in New York City. Damn. And I apologize in advance for any very loud banging. I live in a construction zone. Well, I work in a construction zone. <laughs> um, I am Dan Ross, uh, and I am currently in my basement uh, for the same reason that uh, Rabbi Rosenthal is complaining about the construction zone, because it is literally right above my office. <laughs> so I figured that that would not um, do well for the recording. Um, but uh, also, I have to say, having listened to the theme song, um, just because of how fast I generally listen to podcasts, it sounded, even though it was 18 seconds, achingly slow, <laughs> achingly slow. I was like, what do we have to do to speed it up? Okay. Anyways, I'll stop talking. Hi, John. <laughs> and uh, and Sari. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Sari Laufer. I am the um, chief engagement officer at Stephen Wise Temple in Los Angeles and may or may not be coming to you with a fever. It's not clear. So oh, nice. we have to forgive anything I may say. Absolutely. Hope you uh, hope you feel okay and uh, feel better. Officially, ma. Um, let me make sure I've made uh, all of our our four of us into the co-hosts. And um, if anybody else wants to, you're welcome to unmute yourself and introduce yourself if you wish by uh, by who you are and where you are, or you can type it in the chat if you if you prefer. And uh, oh, and Sarah is upset. <laughs> Oh, there. <laughs> um, as I said, I'll give a moment if anybody wants to. Uh, you can say who you who you are, where you are. This is Daniel Kurzine. I'm an associate rabbi at Oak Park Temple, just outside Chicago. Daniel, another of our co-hosts. Great to see you. Well, I would encourage anybody, if you wish, to. Um, we're a small group uh, at the moment, live, so you can. Uh, you can unmute to ask us things or you can chat us things. We'd certainly love to know if the chat, if you want, as we go along, we'll try to track that, uh, whether you're on Zoom or on Facebook, and uh, you can even tell us where you are. If you want to identify yourself as I'm a 60% cheaty or a, an aspiring Tahani. Um, and uh, I thought actually that might be a fun way to start. So first of all, I know that Priya Parker says that gatherings should have, you know, very clearly defined, you know, who is and whys. And um, this is a little more loose than that. Uh, the four of us who have uh, collectively kind of co-hosted more of the 
episodes kind of thought it would be nice to get together and talk. And this will be maybe a, a first or second draft of some reflections that we have not at all rehearsed or even actually hardly uh, decided <laughs> what our agenda is altogether so we can help create it. But I did think it might be, it might be fun to start with, uh, with characters and maybe, you know, Sari was the first person who kind of breakfast club this thing as like you can't make me say you know that i'm more one than than the other uh, but all of um, us are athletes all of us are <laughs> exactly and so i will i will say i don't know if any of, of the three of the rest of you know who uh who you have said you were over the course of four seasons but uh maybe we'll, we'll whip around and if any if you have anything to say about that i will start while you think about that by just telling you i've done some some stats on the uh sort of catching up they might be off by by one or two to my surprise and probably to your surprise also dan all right great <laughs> I, I just want credit though, because I think I am the only one of the co-hosts who has sent John pictures from the actual set of the good place, right? We we are hoping we should have a, a we should have a group sure. field trip to the uh to Anytime. the good place. Absolutely. Um, so there have been r- roughly 43 responses t- by people who have every the, the rules have, have been that um, each season uh, when you host for the first time, you get to say, I feel like I'm most like X character and um, I wish I were more like. And um, I don't know if you have a guess or if you've actually put any, uh, you know, had any office pools going, but believe it or not, only just a little more than 50% of all of us Jewish educators have said that we are uh, cheaties mostly. And uh, so that you might find that surprising. And that, that percentage kind of dipped uh, fairly precipitously in the last season where it was the minority, actually. Maybe that was changes in cheating. And then in terms of aspirations, uh, it was uh, there was a surprising comeback by Jason over the, the course of the seasons who collectively had about 25% of the I wish I was more like. And um, and then it was uh, it was Eleanor, Michael, and Janet, you know, more or less equally, and um, with with Chidi coming up the rear, I guess, because most of us thought we were we were Chidi's kind of already. And this is you know not just the four of us and Daniel, but but sort of everybody all along. And um, so I would I would uh, go around and ask any of first of all the the four of us uh, if you have a final thought now of either one of those characters you're you're feeling more like or you feel have really you know connected to as that character was or has evolved anybody want to jump in i mean i'll jump in as the non cheaty and i rem- i actually do remember i don't actually remember what i said but i remember on the first time i came on saying i think i'm supposed to say cheaty right like i think especially as rabbis i think there is this sense that like of course we're going to have the like big philosophical mind but i was never a cheaty I actually don't think I ever aspired to be a cheaty. I might've said closer to Tahani, but I actually, I can't, <laughs> Dan looks surprised. I'm not sure why I don't. Actually, <laughs> no, not at all surprised. Actually, like really feeling it. Like you've got that glamour about you. Always <laughs> Thank have. you. I mean, especially right now with my fever. Really. <laughs> um, but I think at the end, like when I come around to it, I, I would probably say closest to Eleanor, right? Of this sort of like, lives in the very real world and, you know, for whatever that is. And also I I think mostly I feel like, you know, we, I know it in theory. And then over the last, however many years of my own life, like have centered in on like relationship in my life and how that is actually central. And I think that that is sort of what Eleanor learned, right. Going from being hugely selfish and never, not that I think I was hugely selfish before, but like, 
not really thinking about the way her actions impact others. And then when she finally like had a crew, right? Like had people who both cared about her and also who she could see the impact on them changed the way she was. And so I think that, and then I think maybe my aspiration, it's funny, I never think about Michael and Janet as being options. Um, I don't know why, Um, but maybe my aspiration- Neither are human. Huh? Neither are human. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm biased against the non-human characters, Um, but maybe is Michael. Um, because he's just so like, I think it's maybe his like wonder still at the world, right? Even though he's been alive for however many billions of years, right? And like seen so much, like he still has this sort of childlike wonder. And I think that, that like in some ways, maybe in contrast to Eleanor, who has the cynic, which I, everyone who knows me knows I definitely have the cynic, um, like love that childlike wonder. And so maybe I aspire a little bit more to that. Which you said, um, actually, you, Sari, said at the first season and the last with the little Jason interlude in the, uh, although you are, I think, our most Jason resistant, uh, uh, possibly. For sure. In the group here, but that's that's what I heard you say. Yeah. I, I was also not a cheaty. Yay! Um, I, I definitely. That's why we're friends. <laughs> I'm not a cheaty and I never will be. And I don't think I ever really aspired to be a cheaty. Um, and I think the nature of like both my work and my life means I can't be a cheaty. Like I can't be a person who doesn't make decisions. I work with children. I have to make a lot of decisions in the moment all the time, constantly. And I can't have a stomachache every time I make a decision um, or have a stomachache in an you attempt. You make, make such it. good decisions, Rabbi Rosenthal. I appreciate the that. the best but decisions. I, but, you know, I can't, I can't be cheaty. And I don't think I ever, I ever was a cheaty. Like um, in, in, and I, I, I think I said I was like Michael. Is that right? You said that every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love Sari's assessment of Michael. That's also why we're friends. Um, <laughs> and just sort of the way that he looks at the world. But I would say sometimes I feel in my, in my professional life, a lot like a Janet where people <laughs> come ask me a question. And I have to give them an answer right away and then move on to the next to the next thing. Um, here, I think of her as my Janet too. Like I just uh, expect I, her to know all the things and she usually does. I think of Sari as my Tahani. Like if I need to know what glamorous <laughs> outfit to get, it's Sari's my Tahani. Um, but I would say like, a, I think sometimes um, a lot of my role is like, what's the answer to this question? What's the answer to that question? What's the answer to that question? And I love that. the op- I love the opportunities in my professional life where I get to explore something a little bit more and and ask questions about it and understand it. And sometimes, sometimes it like Eleanor in a little bit of a cynical way, but sometimes like Michael, I think he he's like Eleanor in a lot of ways, but without the layer of cynicism on him. Rebecca, can I ask though, like how do you how do you deal with Michael season one and the deviousness? Like, do you consider yourself to have that kind of demonic? <laughs> character to you have you have you when i think rebecca I do evil plans <laughs> you don't know about my evil plans dan they've been long simmering they're long simmering evil plans um you know i don't think i i don't think of myself as demonic for sure i i hope none of us really do um but i do think um when when i think about michael even in the beginning where he's torturing the people i think about him as sort of having a little piece inside of him that's like maybe there's another reason 
I'm doing this, or maybe I should do something else, or maybe I should help people, right? He has, in my mind, even from the very beginning, a little bit of a conscience. Um, and so I think I'm probably not a season one, Michael, I, at least I hope not. Although maybe sometimes hmm. my children would beg to differ and think I am season one, Michael, um, with evil demonic plans to ruin their lives. Um, but I would say the the idea from Michael that you can grow and change and look at the world in new ways. And I also appreciate his desire to be human and all the things that come with that. Um, that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a human most of the time. <laughs> um, well, I will say that I uh, realized as I was thinking about this just the other day that the person I'm striving to be is Tahani at the end. I think you would be perhaps happy, Sari, with that answer of mine or intrigued. And I realized that the Tahani who's like willing to, to wear the, the jeans overalls, you know, finally, and who has this very eclectic list of things, I want to pave the driveway and make a perfect cabinet and, and things like that. And sort of, uh, sort of fulfill my, my existence by, by not ending it <laughs> as the one, as the one of our gang who really does that. And, and, um, I really relate, I've, I've uh, mentioned periodically, um, in my congregation, the song by Naomi Shemer called Odlo Ahavti Dai, I Have Not Loved Enough, which is a, which seems to be a person living up, uh, sort of listing out all kinds of things that a person could do, which seemed to be like just, just everything. And I often think, you know, what are, you know, uh, what are my, my talents or my dreams and do they only fall in one category? Or if I had eternity, that would be, <laughs> Sari is putting in the chat, the, uh, the, the, uh, Israeli folk dance instructions. And it, uh, and in fact, I don't do that, but just because of that song, I have been willing to learn the dance, which I don't really do very well otherwise. But, um, but I really love that, uh, that dimension. And we talked in the last episodes about kind of this sense of if you really could, you know, decide that you had a, a limited amount of time and you should focus it on figuring out sort of who you are, Jason style, you know, and, or if you, uh, if you could have all of those. And I, I'm a little stuck on who I would think uh, still now. I think that, uh, um, I think the, the, the cheaty and, um, I, I said in the, at the beginning of this last season, that kind of the Michael who's sort of grown into the, the awkward mentor type person who is, uh, you know, definitely sort of wants to be that person, but also in a sense, either experiences or owns the awkwardness of trying to help people with, uh, with his wisdom. I, that sort of resonates for me in a, in a certain way, although I will, I will, uh, I will claim an amount of cheatiness still as well. I don't know, Daniel, if you want, if we put you on the spot as a, as another coast, if you want to jump in with any of your, your current relatings to the characters. Yeah. I'm probably still cheaty with an aspiration for Eleanor. Uh, I think at heart, I still find myself the prevaricator and also one who aspires to be able to take charge with, what ultimately ends up being true compassion the way we see Eleanor doing. I mean, this as a real compliment, which is you're like one of the most cheaty people I know. <laughs> Agreed with love, like accepted love. as okay. given. Yeah. Like that's how we should do it. We should all name who the other person is. 
Oh, we do happen. It happens that we are. And I should say that, by the way, that this uh, podcast was not created only by people who, who knew each other. We had a number of people who met, you know, for the first time while recording these episodes together, which has been great. Uh, unfortunately, uh, none of them here in the, the room uh, right exactly at this moment. Um, if anybody else out there on the uh, on the stream either has someone you want to, you know, want to reflect on uh, about uh, with yourself or how you've maybe grown a relation to that character. You're welcome I, to. I also don't think I planted yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, it? Dan. Yes, oh, go. Fine. I'm just, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I think I said very similar to my namesake, uh, Daniel, that I was a cheaty aspiring to be an Eleanor um, in the, the, my first take on the show. Um, but maybe I admire Jason's presence at this point, especially like at that last moment, his ability to just sit for a thousand years with himself and become a monk. That sounds like really nice. <laughs> Let's see someone. Oh, do we have something typing along? Looking. So um, uh, Judith from North Carolina asked the question of like, how did we come up with this podcast? And since, uh, since we were folks among those conversations, uh, we could we could definitely talk about that. Um, I remember talking about this, maybe certainly like in 2019. I want to say certainly by 2020, sort of before the pandemic started. Definitely with uh, Rebecca and Sari. And I feel like the two of you had talked about a project related to this. Is that? Can you tell us? Can you illuminate that? Sure. I think. I mean, Rebecca's going to correct me if I'm wrong. I think we had originally talked about a curriculum. Like I was like, I really want to teach. I'm not because I'm not a cheaty. I'm like, I don't really do philosophy, theology type teaching all that often. I mean, it obviously comes up in my work, but I was like, but I really want to do it. I think there's like such fascinating theology and it feels so accessible. And we sort of talked about it, but didn't. And then, then at some point came into the conversation and you were like, we should do, we should do this conversation. That's what I remember. Rebecca, do you have any, any added memories? Yeah, that, that feels accurate. Like I think, a lot of times we're looking at media and other things that we consume as like, how can I teach this? Or how can I make this relevant to the work that, that I do? And the good place has so much richness in that, uh, in that area. Um, and just so many questions. So yes, we talked about it, but it was John Spiros event who really took the ball and ran with it. So feeling very grateful to you. I can't remember exactly when it was that we would have initiated the conversation, like discovered that we had this interest in common. Um, I do remember that. So, so the four of us are all part of the alumni community of the Wexner Foundation's Graduate Fellowship Program. And I do remember that I did a session. Oh, uh, oh yes. Uh, the fellowship that is uh, retiring and, and evolving into something else. And I remember um, well, I did a session a few a few conferences ago about the West Wing and sort of because uh, I think there was an invitation to just something about pop culture and whatever. And I and it was a session about uh, sort of the use of power for good, uh, the use of like power, sort of wrestling with power for good in the West Wing. And that I know Sari was there, and and I think that um, that was a blast. And and it might have got us talking about what are other things that are that are kind of like that. And um, I will say that that uh, so I was trying to recruit people. Uh, there are two things. One is to to recruit, you know, as many you know voices and diverse as possible um, to do something that I think initially I thought would be like a few of us would just do this together the whole time. And the other thing was uh, a real hope that if we had the idea that we could find a sort of podcast producing 
group who could who could do it, uh, which we did not. So we we're self-producing this. The other thing is that um, when the pandemic started, it's, it was really right after. I think we were like right in the middle of these early conversations, and it seemed like laughing in this fashion about things was was hard to do. Um, because I think the podcast has sort of been in the mode of where we're kind of, you know, whimsical while we're studying serious things. And certainly early 2020 turned out to be not a whimsical time. And, um, and then uh, I think it came back that we started to have conversations about when it was, you know, more or less a year later, 2021 in the summer, they thought about, you know, could we, is it time to come back to this, especially as so many of the conversations in the world around the pandemic, around George Floyd, around the uh, presidential elections were really so infused with ethics that this seemed like a nice way to do some outreach that might uh, that might be a little less serious at a time and maybe we could use a little. I know that for me personally, that comic relief was was uh, welcome in a time when I when I uh, didn't have that collectively with a group of people. Uh. Well, let's see. Not seeing any other particular questions and comments we forge ahead. I am wondering just to put us all on the spot if we have any thoughts on like, is there in a, sort of in a global sense, some kind of, you know, was it a, a Jewish surprise that this rewatch has brought to you or whether in a, in a big sense about Teshuva or maybe just about some teaching that you were like delighted to see come to life in a in a way, or, or, or another thing that we could talk about is if there's something that's like, you know what, I have been thinking about this Jewish idea and I so much love better how this uh, the good place kind of has the better take on something that I've now like adopted. And anybody have something top of mind? Well, you think about, I, oh, Rebecca, I was yeah. just going to say, I think one of the fun surprises of the good place was just like how Jewish it was. And even though I always had a sense that, you know, there was a lot of good material in the show and so much to um, to hold on to, it wasn't until we started digging into it episode by episode and looking for different texts to, you know, to connect to it and um, that the Jewishness of it really came out. And I think that the, the final um, test that they devised to get into the good place is like, the most Jewish option ever, right? Like you get to try again as many times as not, I mean, we don't all have unlimited life, but you get to try again until you get it right. And that's so rooted in how our, um, in how we understand our lives and chuva and this idea that, you know, we can always start again and that there's lots of different ways of starting again, but but also that chuva requires true action. <laughs> Sarah changed her background and it's really cute. Um, that Chuba requires true action and really thinking about what you did wrong and getting yourself in the same position and making a different choice. And, and that that final uh, idea of how one gets into the good place feels very linked to, to Jewish ideas to me. I, I would add that one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is um uh, there's this, and I actually remember this being part of the conversation, I think after the end of season two, um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, is the world a simulation? Like, are we like, are we under the, you know, rule of some, you know, far advanced civilization and we're basically just living in a video game that they've created. And there's a lot of people who actually believe this, including Elon Musk. Um, and uh, Ezra Klein would say um, on one of his other podcasts that, 
if you if you think about that as the way that he if you think about his self-understanding as being in a simulation actually kind of explains a lot of the way that he lives his life because he treats it like a game and i think a lot of people do that and i think that what the good place comes to teach us um in a really powerful way um is that um it doesn't matter whether we live in a fabricated space like the good place like the neighborhood um, it's still what matters is how we treat each other. It, the fact that we live in a simulation or in a created, in fact, specifically because we do live in a created world, or at least Judaism teaches that we live in a created world from the beginning of the book of Genesis, indicates that we have obligations to each other, that how we treat each other, it, it, it's the source of morality, um, is the fact that the world is not ours. So that's kind of something that I've been thinking about and like, a little bit of the nature of like the gamification of things and how the gamification is all wrong, like the point system's all terrible. And anyways, I'll stop on my little. Well, Dan, but are you talking, Dan, also about sort of the issue of like determinism, like whether we know whether we're actually making choices or not, it still matters? Um, less about determinism, although there are folks who have that question, but more just about the idea that um, we don't live in a real world. Right. Um, and the good place is in a real world. And actually, that's where they go to learn about how to be better people. Right. Uh, in a world that isn't, quote, real or a base reality or whatever kind of language you want to use to talk about it. For me, one, one of the surprises has been uh, around, I want to say, ritual and I thought that this would be a way of initially just kind of lining up philosophical ideas from the Western tradition with, um, you know, conceptual ideas about ethics in the Jewish tradition. And I think the first like amazing things that happened were in season two, thinking about Purim and this idea when they, they have the, uh, when they have to go through good place, bad place uh, headquarters, I guess, and dress up. And, and this uh, really interesting conversation I had with Ilana and Daniela about uh, these are already people who are sort of not living their real lives and then taking on these other, these other things and sort of, uh, and then this whole, uh, then on this whole shtick about Michael is Mordechai and Eleanor is Esther and kind of Eleanor is an Esther character, which I think really, I love Purim. Um, and then I had this conversation with Rebecca about Yom Kippur related to the episode where they've gotten, um, it's when they get the demons all to leave in season two and they've got this sort of last before they destroy the, the neighborhood and, and head off. So I guess it's the prior episode and they, uh, and it's, uh, they hang out there, they dance, they play music, they, they catch up with each other and sort of process. And I was, and we were, and, you know, Rebecca has long said, I think if this is not an actual quote, Yom Kippur should be a dance party or something like that. And then, and then Sari and I talked about the the funeral episode and, and just all the, everything from, you know, having this opportunity to hear what people think about your legacy while you're there to this idea of like going back to the place, re somehow representing the a place that's as significant to you. Jason's was born in a swimming pool in Jacksonville and all that. And, um, and uh, I, so that was, that was one thing that was kind of a, a total surprise to me. I didn't think there'd be anything about kind of ritual, kind of the official Jewish stuff. In fact, I thought that the whole uh, kind of appeal of this kind of podcast would be to sort of talk about uh, these kinds of ideas, all divorced from all the baggage of, of ritual that that often drive people away, sadly, from Judaism. I don't know, Sari, if you have anything you want to uh, 
jump in on and sort of a, a Jewish, a Jewish uh, surprise or kind of thing that has, that has uh, illuminated in a new way for you. I mean, you know, look what I think part of it is recognizing, I think probably for all of us on this call, right. The way that we often, we look at universal concepts with a particularist lens um, and, and that like reminder of the way that some of our particular language can also be expanded universally, right? Like the whole notion of tshuva, which like, I agree, you know, that for me, that's, you know, I think that's like the center of this story, but I don't know why, you know, you know, I don't know how many people working on it or writing it would use that language or had that in their head, though I imagine it's a non-zero number. Um, (laughs) You know, the other thing that I was thinking about and have been thinking about actually, so I lead services on Friday mornings in our day school for the littlest, for sometimes for preschool, but now for kindergarten and first grade. And it's very sweet because everyone gets to be what we call clay codish. Like they get to come up and like lead a part of the service, which for the kinder and the first grade is mostly they say a sentence. Well, the, the kinders really just come up and like say a sentence. So true, the first graders write a little thing. Um, and, you know, what I find fascinating about it is they're talking about concepts like peace and, and tikkun alam, right? The repair of the world. But they're, you know, as a, you know, not that I think any a five or a six or a seven year old has less. I actually think they often have more, right? But their their language for it is not necessarily as sophisticated as a, you know, thirty something or a forty something year old. And so they say, they say the words. I think similar to the way we talk about theology, right? That like we can only talk in our sort of limited experience. And and so they will say, you know, like peace in the world is, you know, I, oh no, it's, I can bring peace to the world when I, that was the prompt this year. Right. So it'd be like, I can bring peace to the world when I share my toys with my sister. Right. And like, so I think about the, and, and what I often think about is like, wow, yeah, that actually, like that is in your world, um, an, an example or an experience of that. And I think about that also with the good place where I think they're presenting these big, ideas. And then, of course, I think in all senses, the big ideas are can only be manifested in, like Dan said, in the ways that we are responsible to one another um, and, and, and manifest think, in tiny ways. And I think related to that, right, is the idea that all of our choices matter um, in a real way and not just in a way of, you know, have I solved global warming, right? And, you know, you make all these jokes about like, oh, this paper straw and like, is that really doing anything uh, for the world? Now, paper straws are obviously- I am coming for the paper straws. They were created they by the demons. before Hashem. They are, they, okay, but anyway. Paper straws were created by the demons in the bad place, a hundred percent. But I think the idea, right, that we should train ourselves to make small choices that, um, that and not just write off choices because they don't have some kind of like massive global- impact that stops global, you know, stops climate change or, you know, completely eliminates gun violence. And I think the the good place really leans into that idea that our choices, big and small, do matter. And that, um, you know, we, ha- we have that piece of Talmud that I believe has been brought to this podcast before, right, that everyone should walk around with the idea that they are, their scales are evenly balanced. And so every choice you make can either tip you to the good side or the, or the bad side. And I think that's where the good place kind of, in some ways ends up, right? That, that you have these, when they had the accountant and, and all of that, you had all, what are all the unintended consequences of your choices? But in the end, it's really 
the small choices that we're making and the small things that we're choosing to do better that, as Sari said, can bring peace to the world. And just picking up on one more thread of that, um, uh, Rebecca, what you just said made me think of uh, an example that Michael Schur gives in his book, How to Get How to Be Perfect, about like thinking too hard about the long-term consequences of every action. He, he talks about like, you see an old lady crossing the street and she needs help. You help her cross the street and then you discover that she's a secret Nazi, right? And like, <laughs> you know, still you help the old lady across the street, right? Like it, you did the best you could in that moment with the limited knowledge that you had. And that's something that I think that The Good Place also teaches us to really, to really honor. Because um, uh, a lot of the, the show is about um, the nature of intention as well as, as in the um, conversation that John and I had last week with um, Pamela Hieronymi. Um, John, you're muted. Yes, a conversation we haven't yet uh, published, but we'll be coming out soon. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have wrestled, as, as, uh, as uh, all of you know, and if, whether you've listened or talked with me, with this question about kind of the the constant, the impact of, of us. And I think what's really interesting at the end of the show is that um, uh, there is, you know, different characters, I think seem to have different senses of like whether they should stick around in their, in their afterlife existence, their good place existence. And some of them, for some of it, it's based on what, what did I want to accomplish? What I think was my destiny. And some of it was tied with kind of how is my destiny tied up with other people? Although I don't think they draw that out tremendously. Uh, I think one of my favorite pieces of the, just that's just a little bit in the the ending episodes is where uh, is where Brent is still not getting in even you know he still has to be sent back because he still doesn't get the the Me Too issues and that that seems to be one they call out a bunch and I think it's I think it's important that they have that like it's not in that part because his badness is tied up with a with a whole bunch of of things and um, but uh, but I do but I do wonder about that and I think that some of the for me some of the intriguing moments are where they do try to tie the kind of destiny of the individual fulfilling their self into the whole. And I, and I, as, as, uh, as you know, I preached on Rosh Hashanah last year um, about really one of the things being that moment in the Janet's episode where, where Eleanor is, uh, where kind of that whole Janet's void is coming apart and like every basically existence is going to be destroyed while Eleanor is having an existential crisis about who she is. And it's Chidi who kind of helps her reconstitute herself and, uh, and then finding herself sort of saves the universe while, up, while sort of up in accounting land, Michael is sort of dealing with the, uh, okay, I need to take a stand on, you know, Janet challenges him to sort of take a stand on this whole accounting system. And, uh, but they, they don't say exactly how, like, I, I want to know, like, how is it that I, which is why, again, I like to be, I like this Tahani at the end, who's like, okay, well, I can, Tahani has her individual projects of designing the perfect furniture. And then she's like, I think I want to be an architect and work on the whole, which is in a way kind of a transformation of her philanthropy, which in life was so like, it did good things, but it was rooted in this, this horrible thing in her family. But she kind of essentially becomes that philanthropist that she, that she had a kernel of that, that just by her placement in the, in the world, which I think is, is cool. Well, some of the some of the good place, right, is is about like you, you can't outrun your essence, but you can use it for good instead mm-hmm. of for evil. Um, think about Eleanor, right? Her essence actually really remains um, in terms of her 
in in her life she's using it for scheming the elderly and you know whatever else but in the in the good place she uses that kind of like drive and creativity and and um for for good instead of for evil right to to save her friends to think about you know how she can outwit the demons and and she's really one of the most interesting and creative people that that are there and and the same is with the same happens with Chidi, right he can't outrun his sort of professor his professor essence but um he figures out a way to make it work um instead of having it total give give him a totally debilitating stomach ache along the way and <laughs> also the banging has is back so apologies oh. for the background noise. Uh, no, what you just said reminded me of the story of uh, Zeusia, who, you know, arrives at the heavenly gates and has striven striv his entire life to be Moses. And then, you know, he says to God, like, correct me if I'm correct me if I'm mis mis uh, misstating the story, but says to God, I strove my whole life to be Moses, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. And God says, well, why weren't you Zeusia? Right. And like that, I love that drawing of you can outrun your essence, but how can you use your essence for good to be fully yourself and, and to make the biggest difference. So I've been thinking about something where I think the good place filled in what was uh, probably a kernel of a Jewish thing, a thing that seems Jewish, but where I actually don't feel like there's such tremendously developed stuff in the Jewish sources. And that is really in the idea of kind of friendship or the, the group as, as important for one's both kind of one's own ethical development coming into one's own. And, you know, again, breakfast club, you know, clearly it's a, it's kind of a trope in, in culture that, uh, that I'm intrigued about, but I feel like, you know, we, we talked in, in, in the later season about how, you know, Brent, Simone, John, like they're, they're not the same kind of, just not, and not just anybody, even though you want to, you know, can develop into that group for you. And this group of different, uh, different people uh, becomes that for each other. And, um, and I feel like we have this one idea of uh, get yourself a, a master teacher and have a, have a partner who either a study partner or kind of a, a partner in your spiritual or personal development. And, and a lot of things hang on the commentaries to that. But I feel like when I've looked for, for real kind of Jewish philosophizing about this, um, that even though we talk about community all the time, and especially we do in our work, that I feel like I don't point to some kind of classical Jewish writing that says, you know, this is this is what friendship is, you know, at that level supposed to be. And I and I and it's made me want to sort of think about where where should I be looking for that, or is it just all there? Like the show portrayed it so beautifully and took the premise of you know friends and cheers and Gilligan's Island, whatever, and took it to this other level. Well, it's interesting, right? I think our our tradition. Right there's ochavruta omitucha, right? Like give me, give me liberty or give me give me friendship. I get right partnership or give me or give me death. Basically, like it's a choice, but but it's always a one on. It's always a dyad, right? Or I, I think our tradition actually has a lot to teach about that type of relationship. Like in fact, about an intimate relationship that is not well sometimes that may or may not be romantic <laughs> depending how you read some of the text right but like that that on its surface is a platonic relationship um and and the ways that 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 impacts and influences our life but it is always a dyad right you don't see a lot yeah. in in any of the literature about like that expansion of like okay like maybe maybe we we do we have these different sort of we have these different partnerships 
in the in the story. Um, but but we don't have in our text like an expansion of that where you'd have like several to we coming do. together to form a group. There is actually one wonderful passage in, in Ta'anit, one, but I would say that to your point, Sarah, and I'm gonna share it in a second, but um, um, uh, to your point, I, I would not say it's it's certainly part of like, it feels like part of the zeitgeist of, of Judaism, but there is this wonderful passage. So it's Rabbi Bar Barchana said, why are matters of Torah compared to fire? As it is stated in the book of Jeremiah, is not my word like fire, says Adonai to tell you just as fire does not ignite in a lone stick of wood, but in a pile of kindling, so too matters of Torah are not retained and understood properly by a lone scholar who studies by himself, but by a group of sages. Hmm. So there is at least one tradition to point to, but I would say that this is not the prevailing tradition um, uh, across, but I just wanted to throw that out there. So in case anybody needs one. And we have tossed in, and I and I, I want to say, if memory serves, that maybe Ben Gurin was the first person to um, to pull out some some more sources, and uh, that do kind of talk about. Well, although they they do talk again about that kind of chavruta partner relationship, as I think about it, um, and often in the in the Talmudic stories, when the rabbis are presented as a group working on something, it's often a bad story. It's a story either about about conflict or or it's a story about learning from each other, but in but we don't really hear the mechanism other than by, you know, intellectual argument. And I feel like I want more of that. I feel like part of my own teshuva is that. And that what I admire in the show is the way that, that people, you know, react to, to each other, uh, either directly by seeking out some guidance or by realizing that they've sort of taken on, uh, taken on some characteristics or wisdom from, from the others. I felt like someone had the tip of their tongue on that. Uh, and by the way, again, just in curious. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. I, I just think that there's this this notion and I'm trying to I, I might be inaccurate, but I would say that in addition to friendship, what we sort of have in the good place that's that's common across, you know, our, you know, um, non-Jewish literature is the notion of found family. Whereas, you know, our 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 sacred literature um, through the Torah is really the story of a single family as they evolve into a nation. Um, there isn't the same kind of understanding of like we throw a group of people together and they become a family um i would say but maybe i'm i'm not thinking accurately or fully uh, or expansively of, of textual options in that way uh, i'm encouraging people uh who are on the stream here to to add a, a comment a question and you're certainly welcome to unmute yourself too and uh, throw something out there either of your own insight uh, that you've learned on anything we're talking about or something, you know, uh, even generally related or, or something you want us to respond to in any way. I did have one reflection, which was that um, the good place was pitched to me and is often pitched as a TV show about moral philosophy. And you have the teacher who's there at the beginning with the blackboard teaching principles of moral philosophy. And over time, and this was commented upon a couple of times during the course of the podcast, the actual uh, philosophy lessons diminish. And the story is told through the lives of the characters. And I was reflecting on the extent to which you see that also as manifest in Jewish sources, how we have a couple of instances of, I'm going to teach you some philosophy. And often 
it's um, most uh, profoundly felt, the, uh, the, the conclusions of philosophy are most profoundly felt. So the story is told through characters living them, or as they are translated, the principles are translated into the lives that we lead. So that we are able to become the protagonists in the stories that we tell of others, we find ourselves in their shoes uh, more often than we find ourselves in their, you know, like trains of thought. Hmm. I, I I don't know if you want to say if you want to talk a little back and forth about that, Daniel, too. But I think that the uh, you know, and and this is the virtue of like not thinking things through, you know, at the beginning of a project and. I have to say, in my life, I've been uh, more involved in startup projects than in in uh, maturing a project to stage two. Like I've worked for startups, or like now uh, an organization that's more than 100 years old. But um, so I thought that there would, like, I remember there being sort of more of that uh, blackboard philosophy around. And and I think I like the way it, it appeals to me for one thing. And I think I've had this you know desire to think about those big ideas and see how they how they come back. And, and partly, I guess one of the questions I've had and, and, and we probably five of us here have different settings about how much we think about wanting those big uh, conceptual ideas to be our guides, you know, versus that's not the only thing that we're looking at. And it's a little bit to the question of, you know, Talmud Shemavili Dema said that study is, is study valuable because it really does have an impact, you know, whether it's Torah study or, or this kind of commenting on a, on a text um, more, more loosely described. And because I, I feel like I now need to go back for myself and say, okay, I, I definitely, I feel like I've learned something, but like, how do I know whether I have? I've been studying these and all the Jewish texts that that, that you all have brought. Um, am I any different? Am I actually, you know, I say I've learned about teshuva. Have, have I? <laughs> Is there any evidence that I, any lived evidence that I do? Because um, I feel like I want, I feel like, you know, one of my, you know, I, I, to the extent I am cheaty, I think that's, that's, valuable. And I think I, I want to think more about that, about the cheaty process in particular, um, you know, or about the moments where like Eleanor at the end says, you know, that she kind of realizes that she like, because of the book that he gave her that he asked that she asked to let him go, like, for some reason that matters to me. And I'm trying to pick, I'm trying to sort of think about whether that's just a taste, like that's just how I operate in the world, or whether there's a broader Jewish thing, you know, to value around that. I don't know if this directly answers your question, but I think one of the most interesting pieces of this podcasting experience has been about sort of what does it mean to treat different kinds of text as sacred and important and and build a narr- like a Jewish narrative around what is essentially a secular, you know, a, a secular text. And and I think one of the things that I've taken from this experience is is some of that. I, I listened to this other podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text where they mm. use sacred reading practices right for Harry Potter. And, and I I never really thought about this before, but I do think some of what they, you know, some of the principles apply here as well, which is like, um, and, and is one of the things that I think I try to spend a lot of time on with my students, which is how do we take the things that are part of your life and give them a Jewish frame, right? And that feels even if I learned nothing from this podcast, right, which I didn't, I learned many things, but but that feels like a really important 
piece of learning, which is that you can take the things that are important to you in your life and you can connect them to your Jewish life because what it means to be a Jew in the world is actually to engage Judaism in all areas of your life. And it can be, you know, philosophically um, and, and you can study moral philosophy, but also like, you know, you can connect it to pop cultural references and, and um, you know, I, ideas that are in television shows. And, you know, we're going to send Don and Dan Ross to a uh, pop culture school so they can learn about some of the references. <laughs> it's going to be with Sari, the pop culture. I school. will be teaching it as the entire basis of my revenue. Um, but, but I do think that that is a real skill in, in the modern world is to take something that feels important to people and say, this is actually a way in which you can kind of merge your Jewish identity and your secular identity. But do, do you want to say, oh, Sari, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, yes, obviously. And I think the the other way also, right? I think one of the things that the show did really brilliantly and that I think I would guess we all try to do hopefully brilliantly as well, right? Is also not go both from like, okay, how does my life relate to this? But also how does this relate to my life? And I think, you know, Daniel, when you were talking about um, the like shift from the blackboard to life, right? I think a lot about the way our sacred texts teach that way, right? And I will be the first to admit that, I, I mean, I tell this story often, like the first Talmud class I ever taught, I walked out of because the lodge, it was so gray and confusing and made no sense to me. But then, you know, I think about the ways that our text like presents big ideas, big principles, and then says, you know, right. It says, okay, now we're going to go into, which translates literally to a story of a, a flesh and blood King or, but really is about like, okay, so let's take this big concept and translate it into everyday life and everyday action. And right. So I know for me so often, that's the moment where the, the concept crystallizes more than like a lot of, you know, big words and confusing ideas. It's like, Oh, okay. This is how it plays out. And I think about that a lot with, you know, when I work with my B'nai Mitzvah students and, you know, they're wrestling with like, you know, when they're reading in Leviticus, like what does sacrifice mean to someone, to a, you know, 12 or 13 year old kid in 2023, right. We have to move it from the blackboard level to, okay, like what might this, how might this play out in your life, right? What is the, the Maasa Melech Vasarvadam? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to mention that uh, uh, Rebecca disappeared briefly. She said there's a fire alarm going on in the oh, cool. building where she is. So hopefully all is well. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you'll put a good question in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to pose it to Daniel and we'll talk about it? Sure. Is Daniel posing it? Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been, I was wondering about the role of God or the lack thereof in the good place. And I find God in contemporary Jewish life as a kind of background concept that you can have the lived experience Siri was just talking about without needing to turn to God in any kind of way and have a rich and engaged Jewish life with Jewish thoughts. And if you want to go deeper I think you're going to land in a God place. And I wonder if that is also the case in this TV show. Um, do we assume that there's a God somewhere deep down or not? And um, is that a point of similarity or difference to Judaism and life? I've, I haven't thought deeply about it, but I wonder if others have thoughts. Uh, 
Is, is, I mean, it's never stated, but just picking up on Daniel's question, is the judge God? Like, mm -hmm. I will definitely live in a world where Maya Rudolph is God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally. <laughs> Especially because she loves podcasts, right? Like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, obviously from the start of the show, The Good Place, they, with the whole which religions got it right, and Doug Forsett, you know, uh, had it on his own. I think there's a clear sense of, okay, we're, we're trying to lower your or eliminate your expectations. We're using this scene to we're using this setup, you know, to sort of grab something familiar to you, but we're not buying into this, you know, at all. And right. Is Edward, is Michael God is, you know, are Michael and Janet gods, even this Sean, you know, whatever demons and, and all of that. And that's a really good question of putting it like is my, is the judge, is the judge God. Um, and cause I don't know, my, my head has sort of exploded around the, uh, I have one of those, you know, the the dot on the over the eye of Jeremy Baramy that broke me when I think about these questions, um, because I sort of like what I feel like in my my personal theology is that I I have a sense of the divine and divinity, not that but sort of as divinity around, and I actually uh, wrestle against um, uh, sort of that personification. And whoops, what did I just do on the stream? Trying to add. Uh, Anna's back. Uh, sorry, we just uh, Rebecca's back from her fire alarm. So <laughs> we're doing. A, there's a lot of construction. Uh, and I'm trying to. Oh, let's see. I'm trying to get us all spotlighted back. And um, so I like. I like all times to be able to talk about God as presented in Jewish tradition in a in a in a metaphorical sense, and while having the right of having my own personal kind of spirituality. And. Uh, so, um, so I, I don't know, you know, I feel like anytime I want to say, well, you know, the, the, this, this, the eternal beings are like God, I, uh, I'm afraid to do that. I don't know why in the good place, you know, I'm afraid to make that analogy there to make it too hard and fast, if that makes any sense. Have you, have you, did you had a kernel of something, you know, different about that, Daniel, or? I think the Dan's question of is the judge God, I'd like to reframe that and say, in what ways is the judge like God? And what does it add to our understanding of God to think of those ways? Um, and uh, I was reflecting on that, Dan, and I felt like um, the judge is God in the ways that we see God portrayed in, in sort of the area of the Torah we're reading these weeks where God has some powerful emotions and some thoughts about how things go and is also open to feedback and improvisation and changing the rules as needed. So there are ways in which the judge is like God. Also, there are ways in which Michael is like God because Michael, in effect, created a world and created a world in which in this case four people but just a couple of people maybe you can and, and janet there's one. so much janet is like god mm -hmm. who knows everything exactly right and um it, though it's interesting because janet is kind of like the god that um i think a lot of people dream a fantasy god to be a god who just responds to all of your wishes and gives mm -hmm. you what you ask for and then everyone is disappointed doesn't really exist 
Michael is also a god that I think a lot of disaffected, formerly religious people think of as like the real god, as like as like a devious schemer who's out there for his own ends, <laughs> but then goes and changes and whatever, you know. So I guess you know, just to wrap up this train of thought, um, you can see aspects of Jewish um, depictions of God in a lot of these different characters, but I don't think that the good place has a creator or a sense of that there's a there's an arbiter of what's right and wrong in an objective sense, like the arbiters of what's right and wrong are like these demons who you can argue with. And I think that a lot of Jewish philosophy, such as it is, does at root have a kind of basic expectation that human beings don't have all the tools necessary to answer all the questions and to know all the things and that there's an appeal to that which is beyond the human realm in order to justify anything that we do which is different from what animals do and i'm not sure where the good place would land on that question i think i do really love the idea that the good place gets to a place where the humans design a a system in which our the eternality of our souls or our beings, you know, is very individual and and stays without it being dependent on that having been done by God or or a gods, and that maybe it's backed up by you know Michael and then Vicky and the system, but they didn't they didn't design it or you know I think it's very covenantal in that way in some of the ways that is that that are probably our kind of Judaism and. Um, and uh, and maybe in some ways, uh, uh, what I think of as some of the more interesting theology stories in Talmudic Judaism are where God, you know, who in, in the world of that time was so not all powerful, obviously did, or at least, you know, chose not to exercise that power on behalf of the Jewish people. And so we imagined God as, as uh, you know, as having to sort of deal with the world as it is. And um, it's sort of talk, and I think we've referenced the story of uh, Rabbi Eliezer ben Urkundus, who who knows exactly what God wants in an argument with the, all the other rabbis and the other rabbis are like, you know, that's not, that's not relevant to us. Your, your prophetic abilities or your, you know, scheme. And then, and then when he, when he ultimately loses and, you know, God doesn't get God's way through him. Um, and they ask uh, Eliyahu Hanavi, you know, Elijah, the prophet, uh, what is God thinking about in, and says that God, you know, laughed, my children have defeated me. And, um, which reminds me that I forgot in the last episode when we were talking about Eliyahu to mention that our little bum, 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 is the Eliyahu, uh, the Elijah song. Yeah. Anybody else want to say anything to Daniel's theology question? Uh, let's see. I had something else that floated out of my head. Um. Uh, I don't know. I would ask this as sort of a kernel of something, maybe to to Sarah and Rebecca, you know, first, if you if you've started to think about this, like the original iteration of, OK, like, how could we use this in, you know, curriculum with uh, with young people? Like, is that something have you have you had any beginnings of thoughts about that? I actually think that we should convene a, a workshop of educators to sort of workshop. But do you know how you would how you like the first thing you might say is your personal testimony on that? Or have you already been trying? It would actually that? be, I think, like a great service to the world if we made source sheets from each episode and put them on Safaria 
um, like as a collection, because I do think a lot of people like to teach this and I see it like in a lots of different groups and all kinds of things. And people are like, does anyone have source sheets on this? So anyway, when you're like looking for another project, I think we should consider that as, as a project um, to do. And so that's just thing one, but you know, I think um, I wish more of my younger students were interested in this, like knew about the show and wanted to, and wanted to watch it. Um, I mentioned it to a student who had like a very intense, we had a very intense theology discussion about good and evil and what happens to you after you die and all of those things. And I was like, you got to watch this show. I, and he said, oh, I'm going to watch it over the summer. I like, he had never heard of it. And so um, I think the, um, we'd have to bring it back a little bit if we were going to teach it to younger kids. But I do think this is a great way to get kids interested in big philosophical questions and also the idea that like not everything is as cut and dried as you might have been led to believe, right? Like God may not be a man in the sky, whatever, you know, deciding on your every move and that there are a lot of complex answers to a lot of different questions. Um, I'm really sorry, but I have to jump off um, from our discussion, but it was great to be able to talk to everyone all in one place. And I will throw it to Sari since you asked her that question too. Yeah. Bye, Rebecca. Bye, Rebecca. Bye, Rebecca. Um, I haven't actually given it that much thought, I'll confess. Um, I mean, it feels like a really natural high holiday based or high holiday kickoff or ALUL prep session, right? You know, with with so much about Shuva. Um, you know, I also Again, this would not be me writing this. I'm putting this to someone else. But like, I certainly think that if you if you wanted to introduce young folk, right, to like some big theological and and ethical, again, like I think global, right? Like I'm thinking about like the trolley problem, which, you know, like, and you want to introduce it both like, okay, here is the the traditional sort of moral question or moral challenge you know, and then you can watch it on the good place where I think they explain it in a way that makes sense and then lead kids through a discussion of like, okay, here's how our tradition looks at it. So again, I think it's it, it's a really, I'm going to go back to where I started, right? Which is, I think that it's sort of a, a, it's such a good universalization of broad moral philosophy, um, which I guess is universal by nature. And maybe my job would then be to particularize it. I would just pop in with one more thing, which is John, I think in our very first conversation about this, you asked like if we had to choose between someone reading each of the, you know, 54 weekly Torah portions versus watching the 53 episodes of The Good Place and which would make, you know, which would be more uh, formative for their character. I know, Sari, I'm like, I'm thinking the same thing. Good Place Torah study, kind of like, let's let's just, let's just do it, if, you know, for, uh, let's make that, Saturday mornings instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of, uh, but that would be right. That would give yeah. us Rebecca's thing, right. Then we would yeah. have 53 yeah. source sheets. We could also, I'm like, my mind is now college not yet accepted, but definitely. Well, which we basically we do. I mean, we can convert the, uh, the web pages, you know, the, the show notes for each show have the raw material for that. As we all know, uh, that, it, you know, a teacher can't, isn't just a, a list of source sheets. It has to be, uh, sort of programmed out, but I think the beginnings of that are available. And I, I, I would love to turn them into the Safari, a, 
it wouldn't be that difficult at all to take what we have already and at least make the you source material. Ask, ask ChatGPT to do it, John. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where this is all going. I, I too, unfortunately, have to hop off. Um, but yeah, we all, we all do. We've been here for about an hour. Thank you, guys, for participating and. Uh, and uh, and all of you who joined and, uh, and listened to us, please continue if you want to fire us questions and ideas. We'll keep this project open for uh, a little while more and always be able to respond to it, tove at tovegoodplace.com. And have a great rest of the day and a good upcoming Shabbat. Feel better, Sari. Thank you. Better, I have the Gatorade. I'm, you know, just all right. hanging out here. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks, John. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Tove. We've got some more episodes coming, so make sure you're subscribed. And if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a good rating and tell people about it. If you want to dive deeper into anything we've been talking about, check out our website, tovegoodplace.com. We'd love to be in touch, so drop us a note to tove at tovegoodplace.com or interact with us on social media at tovegoodplace. Thanks again for listening. Now go learn more about something good. Bum 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 bum